Chapter Twenty One of the Great Gold Rush: A Tale of the Klondike. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kathy Barrett. The Great Gold Rush: A Tale of the Klondike by W. H. P. Jarvis. Chapter Twenty One: The Peel's Hospital. Alice Peel and her father, the surgeon major, arrived in Dawson by one of the first steamers from St. Michael's. It was late in the evening when they docked, so they arranged to stay on board all night. This made it possible for them to see some of the sights ere they retired. They landed and mingled with the crowds preparatory to finding lodgings. Alice suggested they should ascertain the whereabouts of the rector. Her father did so, and when he thanked the man of whom he inquired, added, "'I'll look him up to-morrow.' "'Might as well do so right away, quick. He's always hanging round there.' "'But it's eleven o'clock. Don't make no difference in Dawson.' Alice and her father thereupon picked their way towards the police barracks, where on the banks of the Slough rested the little log church. It was shut off from the street by a rustic fence, a peaceful sight. Alice and her father were standing regarding it, and had almost made up their minds to enter, to see if any one was about, when their attention was attracted by a man in a boat mooring his craft beside the church grounds. He landed his bundle of blankets, and was spreading them under the church window, when a slight figure with bared head stepped out of the door and stood looking at the intruder. The man folded up his coat that it might serve as a pillow, and was placing it in the prescribed position when the rector spoke. "'You'll have to get out of this.' The man looked up and stared. "'Say, Parson, are you any relation to the Good Samaritan?' This was rather a poser. A suitable reply was evidently not ready on the moment." "'No, I'm not, I'm sorry to say. But what's the matter with you?' "'Just broke. Besides, if I wasn't, I don't see why I need pay a dollar for a bed when I have my own blanket. What are you, high church or low church?' "'I'm anything you like. But you'll have to get out of this. If you sleep there, you'll roll over and crush my flowers. But what are you?' "'Everything you don't like, I guess.' "'No, that you're not. But the thing is, if I let one of you fellows camp here, I'll have a hundred in no time.' "'All right. I don't mind sleeping inside the church if you don't want the other fellows to see me.' "'What could be done with such a man? But I'm going to have service at twelve o'clock for any of the boys coming in from the creeks.' "'I don't mind the services. Singing won't keep me awake. And as for sermons—' "'It looks as if I can't get rid of you. I suppose I'll have to stand for it. Roll up your blankets. You can sleep inside after service.' As the clergyman turned to re-enter the building, he noticed Alice and her father regarding him and his guest with some amusement. He advanced to them and held out his hand. "'We arrived this evening, and thought we should like to look you up and gain some knowledge of Dawson and the manners and customs of its people,' said Alice. "'You have evidently been enjoying an exhibition of them. Come in and see our church.' They entered the yard and walked towards the door, watching the intruder wrestle with his bedding. They passed into the church, and to Alice it seemed fitting that this should be the first log-building she had ever entered, the first roof to cover her in the new world. Being a thorough churchwoman, it was to her a matter of satisfaction and sentiment. As they stood before the altar, others entered, whereupon their host looked at his watch. "'It is almost time,' he said. "'May we stay?' asked Alice. "'Assuredly.' The night was cloudy outside, and the church too dark for reading, so the clergyman brought out and placed two candles upon the altar. The father and daughter each noted the candlesticks were bottles. How incongruous, thought the surgeon-major. The one had evidently held gin, the other whiskey. The service was short, just a lesson and a hymn. Only half a dozen were present. 
When it came to the hymn, the clergyman beckoned to Alice and her father. Each accepted from the clerk's hand a bottle and a candle, and he motioned them to stand on either side of him. This they did, he holding the hymn-book. They sang, I need thee every hour. After the service the newcomers waited for the clergyman, and the three passed down towards the door. The intruder was already making his bed. "'Say, parson, that wasn't bad,' he said. "'What wasn't bad?' "'That there tune, but I never thought you'd confess it.' "'Confess what?' "'That you needed it every hour. Isn't that what you meant by having the chechikos hold the bottles?' "'No, it wasn't,' the parson was annoyed. "'You get out of here in the morning, or I'll throw you into the slough.' "'All right, pard.' "'Your friend seems somewhat facetious,' remarked Surgeon Major Peel. "'Yes, they are all friends of mine. They all know me. If they don't, their friends do. This man is a type of what I have to deal with.' Then they settled down to the business on which the Peels had called. "'If you have the necessary supplies,' said the parson, "'a private hospital is the thing. There is a great deal of sickness now. The typhoid is getting bad, too many living in the manner of our friend at the church.' food poor and badly cooked, general uncleanness, hard trails and stampedes. The parson conducted the newcomers to their boat, and left them satisfied and almost contented. Alice asked him, as he was taking his leave, if he knew John Berwick, but had for answer no. She wanted to inquire at the post-office, but could not get near enough on account of the long lines of men standing before the wickets, postal affairs being in a state of chaos." It was evidently more than possible that John had not received her letters, or at any rate the communication which told of her coming. On the morrow the Peels, giving fulfilment to their intentions, secured a building in Dawson, and so St. George's Private Hospital came into being. It was a matter of much detail. Help and assistance of every kind was enormously dear. They had changed their money into gold dust, and each carried a poke. Alice was astounded when she reckoned the equivalent of the charge made by the man who brought their heavy luggage. Half an ounce of dust meant thirty shillings. There were no idle hands in Dawson. It was the hum of industry, except with the loungers at the waterfront. Alice worked hard, and her work brought distraction. Now she was near John Berwick, at least she ought to be, but had heard of so many cases of drowning, deaths by fever and scurvy in that terrible country, that she could only fear possibilities, and eagerly scan every face she met. She stared into the faces of men of uncouth beards and matted, greasy hair, and as was the custom of the country, her gaze was returned. All seeing her wondered what had brought this fragrant, gentle English girl to Dawson. She was so different from the women of the underworld, hitherto the only representatives, with one or two exceptions of womanhood, in that place. Her fresh complexion contrasted with their painted cheeks, her simple grace with their brazenness and vulgarity. Oh, it was pitiful! In the shops, wherever she went, she asked about John Berwick. Only once was she in some measure successful. I think there was a fellow by that name bought a bill of goods, and said he would be back for them later— one day not long ago. He must be living near Dawson, said the man. Why do you say that? eagerly asked Alice. Because the grub he bought weren't the kind of grub men takes with them on long trips. Besides, he didn't buy enough to last him long. She thanked him, and left her name and address in Dawson. Alice was possessed of the faith that only death can kill, and that faith gave her patience. She buckled to her work, and was content. 
Had she been less industrious, she might have found the trails up the dome, and to John, but no sooner had the hospital opened than patients came pouring in. Nurses of experience were impossible to obtain. She and her father had to struggle with the help of only one woman and three men. All were untrained and inexperienced. End of chapter 21